Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, you can turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're looking at verses 8 through 11 this morning. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 through 11. And if you do not have a Bible, uh, then you can grab one of the pew Bibles there in front of you and turn to page 902. It's 902 in the pew Bible. And if you don't, do not have a Bible, if you do not own a Bible, then we invite you to take that Bible, that pew Bible with you, and that's our gift to you. Uh, we want everyone to have a copy of God's Word, so please take that and uh, use it, read it, uh, see what God has to, to say. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 through 11. Now, it's been three weeks since I preached. I was calculating that this morning. We had a hurricane Delta came through and knocked us out of a, a Sunday. And then last week we had Brother Wade and Miss Barbara here. And so I'm kind of like a racehorse being kept up in the stall. I'm ready to go. Uh, this is the longest I've been without preaching, I think, in 10 years. So uh, y'all better watch out. I'm just warning you now. Oh, but we are continuing. And actually, the, today's message is a conclusion to the sermon that I started uh, three weeks ago. And uh, looking at the temporary sign gifts, the temporary sign gifts, we've been walking through the spiritual gifts, looking at the spiritual gifts as we see them in Scripture. And it is important to be able to somewhat identify spiritual gifts, uh, those that are true gifts and those that are, are not true gifts, those are, who are false gifts, people who are using gifts in a wrong manner or, or using them falsely. Uh, we've looked at, we've already considered the permanent edifying gifts. And in the permanent edifying gifts, we looked at six speaking gifts, the six speaking gifts, which were, which were or are prophecy, the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, teaching, exhortation, and evangelism. And then we considered the nine serving gifts, nine serving gifts, which were leadership, administration, discernment, faith, service, helps, mercy, giving, and hospitality. And now we are considering the temporary sign gifts, the temporary sign gifts. And last time we noted, this is the message in a sentence, the sermon in a sentence, the temporary sign gifts are God's miraculous gifts given at a particular time in history to confirm new revelation and establish the credentials of God's chosen messengers. The temporary sign gifts are God's miraculous gifts given at a particular time in history to confirm new revelation and establish the credentials of God's chosen messengers. So last time we considered the definition of temporary the temporary sign gifts and then we also identified the four sign gifts and so today we're going to turn back and and come to the final little section here and we're going to look at the temporary nature of those sign gifts the temporary nature of those sign gifts so uh, before we get into that let us read God's word so if you found your place there in first Corinthians chapter 12 please stand with me if you can, in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. And for context's sake, I'm going to back up to verse 4 and start there. Verse 4 through 11. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the, works, uh, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Amen. 
May the Lord add blessings to the reading of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word, and may he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. And you may be seated. So let's just run back through, uh, just in case you're new and you didn't get all the other blanks filled in uh, before today, let's just run back through and kind of give a review of what we have covered thus far in this message. First, we looked at the definition of sign gifts. Uh, sign gifts are miraculous gifts given by God to chosen servants in order to confirm new revelation and establish the credentials of God's chosen messengers. So they're miraculous. They're, they're not just miraculous on reception, but in, in the way that they are, are performed and the, the result of these gifts, the result of these gifts are miraculous. They, they defy the laws of nature. They confirm new revelation. Often that ends up with new scripture, right? We, we have our Bible uh, came to us through the prophets and the apostles, and, and their word was often accompanied by sign gifts that show that this word is coming from God. These are, are things that no one can do. Man can't do these things. Uh, only God can do them. So God uh, did these miraculous sign gifts through his chosen servants to confirm that he was in, in fact speaking. Uh, it also shows us new revelation, a new revealing of God, especially as we see it in Acts. Uh, it's new, a new re revelation of God to a new people. Uh, so here's how we see it work out, this work out in the book of Acts. So in the book of Acts, we see, first of all, a new revel revealing of God is coming through the apostles, through the church. And so now the Holy Spirit falls down on the church, falls down on the people of God. This is a new revelation of God. God is revealing himself in the hearts of believers through the Holy Spirit. And so there's an outpouring of the Spirit and the sign gifts burst out in the church. And so all the church in Acts chapter 2 begins speaking in tongues, in known tongues to affirm that this is a new revealing of God. God is revealing himself in a new way. And then we see it as it goes out in steps in the book of Acts. So as it comes down on the church in Acts chapter 2, and then it moves from, from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria, we see another outpouring of the Spirit. As it moves to the Gentiles, we see a new outpouring of the Spirit. So when you see Peter go to Cornelius, who was a Gentile, what happens? Well, God shows up, and the Spirit is now revealed to Gentiles in a new way, and the Holy Spirit falls upon Cornelius and his household as they believe, and they begin to speak in tongues. This sign gift comes alive in Cornelius and his, out, out, uh, his household. Why? to show the apostles that God is moving in a new way. He is revealing himself in a new way to Gentiles. These were the uncircumcised. And, and so they, they use that as proof in the Jerusalem council when they go back and say, uh, you know, are, are we to expect the Gentiles to become Jews like us? Are we to expect them to be circumcised like us? And Peter says, you know what? When I took the message of the gospel to Cornelius, an uncircumcised man, the Spirit fell upon him, and he began to speak in tongues. A sign gift showed that God's Spirit was poured out on Gentiles in a new way. And so it shows, and you see that same pattern throughout the book of Acts. Every time they, they go to another stage, there's this outpouring, right there at the beginning, there's this outpouring of the Spirit. And there, there's people who are speaking in tongues to show that yet God's taking it to the next level. God's taking it to the next level. He is revealing Himself in a new and exciting way. And so we see this. It, it confirms a new revealing of God. But it also establishes the credentials of God's messengers and we're going to look at this a little bit more in detail later on but uh, everywhere that you see it talking about well we just saw that about Moses right uh, 
all of what he did came through wonderful signs and wonders. And it was to confirm his credentials. He was a messenger of God. He wasn't coming on his own behalf. He wasn't speaking his own words. He wasn't doing his own thing. He was God's chosen servant. And the signs and wonders established his credentials. So that's what the sign gifts are, miraculous gifts given by God's chosen servants to or, in, or, in order to confirm new revelation and establish the credentials of God's messengers. Second, then, we looked at the sign gifts themselves, the four sign gifts. The first, the gift of healing, is the ability to cure illness and restore health apart from natural means. So not medicine or anything like that, but, but, a, but uh, curing illness, restoring health apart from natural means. Then there's the gift of miracles. The gift of miracles is the ability to perform powerful acts that defy the laws of nature. It's similar to healing, but it's not dealing with healing and illness here. This is other miraculous uh, signs here. Uh, it deals with physical mir miracles, such as Jesus walking on the water and feeding the 5,000. It also deals with spiritual miracles, like casting out demons. And then there's the, the gift of speaking in tongues. The gift of speaking in tongues is the ability to speak an existent language never before learned in order to communicate the gospel. It's important that we understand that the gift of tongues, as we see it in Scripture, is an existent language. Uh, somebody somewhere, either on earth or in heaven, can understand the language. It's not simply Bible, but it is an, an actual ex existent language that someone is able to speak, though they have never studied that language before. They're just able to, to speak that language. And then there's the interpret interpretation of tongues. The gift of interpreting tongues is the ability to understand an existent language never before learned in order to communicate the gospel. And so communication got to go both ways, right? Some, you got to be able to speak their language and you have to be able to understand their questions coming back to you. And, and so uh, there, again, there was that need for the interpretation of tongues. But both of those, speaking in tongues, uh, interpreting tongues, and all of the gifts, all of the, the spiritual gifts have a gospel purpose. They're all for the purpose of communicating and revealing the gospel of Jesus Christ. They all have a gospel purpose. All right, so now we come to where we left off. And today we want to show, show the temporary nature of the sign gifts. The temporary nature of the sign gifts. And here I want to show you three reasons why I believe that Scripture teaches that these are temporary. These sign gifts are temporary sign gifts and the first thing that we notice here is the pattern of scripture in general the pattern of scripture in general so we go all the way back to the old testament and we look at all of scripture and see the pattern of all of scripture and what do we see we see uh, this kind of pattern in scripture where these sign gifts arise and, and they're they're pretty prevalent right there at the beginning and, and then they begin to fade away until they're gone we see this temporary nature in all of scripture and so just kind of surveying surveying uh, all of scripture what do we find we find three eras of sign gifts in scripture go back to the very beginning go back to the old testament and we see three eras of scripture in our three eras of sign gifts in the scriptures the first era is the Mosaic era, the Mosaic era. And, and this goes from the, the exodus of Israel out of Egypt through the conquest of the land of, of Israel, the land of Canaan. And just to kind of give you an example of this, let me turn over, if you, you can turn with me as well, uh, Exodus chapter 4, Exodus chapter 4. We see this kind of defined for us. This is Moses, he is up on uh, the mountaintop, he is talking to God, God has appeared to him through the burning bush, and telling him, you need to go to Egypt, 
and you need to bring my people out of Egypt and bring them into the land of promise. And in, in Exodus chapter 4, Moses answers God. Then Moses answered, But behold, they, the Israelites, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. And the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, and the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. And again the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it out on the ground, and the water that you shall uh, take from the Nile will become blood on dry ground. And so God, from the very beginning, he gives Moses these signs and wonders. He says, take these signs and wonders to uh, give you credit, right? To, to establish your credentials with the people of God, with the Israelites. These are things that you could not do, Moses, on your own. These can only happen with my power. So take these signs and wonders to show that you are my messenger. And we see it all throughout the life of Moses. Uh, these signs... Uh, confirm his credentials with the people of Israel, but then you have Pharaoh, who doesn't believe him either, so then God sends through Moses, his messenger, all the judgments on Israel, turning the, the Nile into blood, causing frogs to come up out of the Nile and, and just really invade the land of Egypt, causing the gnats to come out and the hailstones and all of these signs and wonders as we read earlier from Deuteronomy chapter 34, all of those signs and wonders were to establish Moses as a messenger of God. And so you see that there's this, this, there's this abundance of signs and miracles in the life of Moses, and then there's a few, right? There's a few in the life of Joshua. They begin to, to, to dwindle down, though, don't they? You see a few in the life of Joshua, Moses parted the Red Sea, Joshua, he's there, and during, during his ministry, the Jordan is parted so that the people walk across uh, from the land of Moab, across the Jordan, onto uh, into Israel, into the land of Canaan on dry ground. And, and they begin to dwindle down in the life of Joshua until they end. But here again, in the life of Moses, Moses is doing all these great signs and wonders to establish his credentials because he's a messenger of God to come and to reveal God to God's people in a new and exciting way. And to, to write scripture, the first five books of the Bible were written by Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. They were written by Moses. And so there again we see a revelation of God, the revealing of God. And then after Moses, after Joshua, the sign gifts die out. They're gone. They're removed. There's not these great signs and wonders being uh, taking place in Israel until you get to the next era of, of God's new revelation. That is the prophetic era. The prophetic era. This begins with the, the ministry of Elijah and then Elisha. Elijah and Elisha. Uh, if you go over to First uh, Kings, First Kings chapter, there it is, First Kings chapter 17, you see this working out. There's many signs and wonders in the life of Elijah. 
He was a great prophet and did many great wonders in his, his, during the course of his ministry. But uh, 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 17, we, we read the, the uh, incident that took place with Elijah raising the widow's son from the dead. After this, the son of the, the woman, uh, guy that Eli, or, or woman that Elijah had already ministered to, the mistress of the house became ill. And his, his illness was so severe that there was no breath, life, no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And he said to her, Give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said, listen to this, the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is true. Here Elijah raises this woman's son from the dead, this widow woman's son from the dead. Why? To show that he was a man of God, to confirm his credentials from God, and to establish the truth of his word. The words that he spoke were God's words. And so you see this in the ministry of Elijah and then Elisha. And you see the same thing. I've got an example here, but uh, for time's sake, we won't look at Elisha. But Elisha, you see the same thing. And, and you see this great outpouring of God's Spirit in the life and times of Elijah and Elisha. As God is doing something new, he's doing something different. The people of Israel have been in the land of promise all of these years. They've lived in disobedience to the command of the Lord. They've rebelled against the, the Lord. And now the Lord is fixing to reveal himself in a new way to Israel as a God of judgment. As he is getting ready to send them out into exile because of their disobedience. And so Elijah and Elisha come along as prophets to speak a warning to the people of Israel. Repent. Repent. This is what God is going to do to you unless you repent and turn back to Him. And they don't repent. They don't turn back. And so God sends them out into exile in judgment because of their sin against Him. But then you have, after Elijah and Elisha, you have the writing prophets, Elijah and Elisha. They never wrote anything, but their, their words and, and what they did was recorded for us in Scripture. But then after them, then you get this, this flurry of, of writing prophets. And, and Eli, uh, uh, Isaiah, excuse me, Isaiah, he was one of the, great, the first great writing prophets. And you see some of the miracles. You don't see the miracles like you saw in Elijah and Elisha, but you see a few miracles in the life of Isaiah. For instance, when Hezekiah uh, is healed from, he's supposed to die. God says, get your, get your house in order because the illness that you are, are facing is going to lead to death. And, and Hezekiah goes to God. He pours out his heart to God. And, and God says, you know what? Because of his heart, humility because of his, his faith in me I'm going to extend his life 15 years and he sends Isaiah to say go tell Hezekiah that his prayer has been heard and I'm going to extend his life 15 years and here's the sign here's the sign that I will give him and uh, Elisha uh, excuse me Isaiah I get all of these mixed up now uh, Isaiah said, tells him here's the sign for you 
I'm going to cause the, the shadow on the sundial, the steps, that, that's how they, they had these steps there that they kind of told time by how the shadow moved upon these steps, down these steps. And he's, I'm going to cause the sun to, to change directions and, and the shadow is going to change direction. It's supposed to be going this way, but it's going to come back this way so many steps. And that's going to be your sign to you that I will certainly heal you. And so you see this sign and wonder in the ministry of Isaiah. But again, they begin with intensity in the life of Elijah and Elisha, and they begin to dwindle down. But still, God is speaking through the prophets, and you have these writing prophets who are recording this new revelation from God. And these signs and wonders are to affirm that this is indeed God's word. This is coming from God. This is not man's word. This is God's word. So you see it in the, the era, the Mosaic era, and then the prophetic era, but then you, it dies off. Once you get to, to Malachi, the end of the Old Testament, the sign gifts are no more. There's this silence that comes from God. He doesn't speak for 400 years until what? Until the apostolic age. And Jesus, he introduces the apostolic age. Jesus comes. And the life of Jesus, you see all the signs and wonders taking place again. They take place in him again to confirm his credentials. We, we read that passage last time. Let me just go back there. Uh, John chapter 5, verse 36, But the testimony that I, that's Jesus, the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, John the Baptist, for the works the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I'm doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. The signs and wonders that Jesus did, the raising people from the dead, walking on water, causing the storm to die down, all of those signs and wonders, feeding the 5,000 and the 4,000, all of those signs and wonders that, that came in Jesus' ministry was to, to affirm his credentials, that he is not an ordinary man. Here's a messenger of God, a very special messenger of God. Back there in Deuteronomy chapter 34, that message that I read in our scripture reading, you remember what it said? There has not been another prophet like Moses in all of Israel. But then there was. There was, there was Jesus, and Jesus is greater than Moses. He's doing more signs and wonders than Moses ever thought about doing because he's the very Son of God. He is God in human flesh come to earth to take on this life of humility, to take on flesh like our flesh, to show us God. And in Jesus Christ, we get to see God face to face. But all the signs and wonders are to show the people that this is Jesus. This man is who he says he is. He is the Messiah, the very Son of God. Trust him. Trust him. Follow him. And from Jesus, and remind you, kind of like Elijah and Elisha, they never wrote anything, but, and Jesus the same way. Jesus never wrote anything in Scripture. But he established his apostles to record the events of his life and to give them to the church. So he, he, he equips his apostles with these signs and wonders to do the very same thing. He does the same thing in their lives. And we're going we're gonna to look at that very closely here in just a minute. But, but there are these three eras that we see in Scripture where sign gifts are, are prevalent in, in the people, amongst the people of God, in the Old Testament saints and in the church. The Mosaic era, the prophetic era, and the apostolic era. But notice that in all of these, there's a purpose. There's that purpose of confirming new revelation, a new revealing of God to His people and to establish the credentials of God's messengers. Those are always the, the purpose. That's the, the two 
purposes for the sign gifts that we see throughout Scripture. So that's the pattern of Scripture. Now let's look at the pattern of the New Testament itself. The pattern, pattern of the New Testament itself. In the New Testament itself, we, we see that same kind of pattern unfolding. There's the, an intense beginning. There's an intense beginning, and, and these sign gifts are everywhere. In the life of Jesus, they're all over Jesus' ministry. He's going everywhere, doing all these great signs and wonders to establish His credential as God's very Son, as the Messiah, the Christ. And then He passes these sign gifts down to His, his apostles. And in the early part of the apostolic ministry, you see this intensity of, of the sign gifts. But then the pattern continues. Even in the book of Acts, even in the life of the apostles, there begins to be this slow cessation of these sign gifts in their lives. So now in your, your outline, I've included some references there. For you to, to study more closely later, but I want to just hit some of these. You, you see, for example, in the life of Paul, we'll, we're going to use Paul as our example because we have, he wrote most of the New Testament, and so we have a larger span of his ministry for us to observe. But in, in earlier parts of Paul's ministry, there's this intensity, this explosion of sign gifts in his life. In Acts chapter 19, Verses 11 through 12, it says this, And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, and this is in Ephesus, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that he had touched, that had touched his skin, were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. So, Paul, you can't go to my mom. She's, in her, she's on her sick bed. You can't come. Just give me your hanky, right? Give me your handkerchief, and let me carry that. And, and his handkerchief was being carried away. Just stuff that he touched was being carried to the sick, and they were being healed through these great signs and wonders. But then, as Paul's ministry continues, as his credentials have been established, as he's known to be an apostle of God, we begin to see this slow cessation of those gifts, even in the life of Paul. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 25-27, through 27, Paul is, is talking about a, a friend of his. I have thought, it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. Now, Epaphroditus had come on behalf of the Philippians to, to bring Paul a message and to bring him some financial support. So I find it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only him, but on me also, lest I should, be, should have sorrow upon sorrow. Now, I read this, you, you think back to Acts and, and that, former per, that former passage where, where they were taking hankies to the sick and they were being healed, and, and you're looking at Philippians and said, well, Paul, why didn't you just heal Epaphroditus? Why are you distressed about his illness? Why are you distressed that he almost died? Why didn't you just heal him? You know, that's a good question. It seems to be that even in the life of Paul, the ministry of Paul, there was this intensity at the beginning to establish him as an apostle of Jesus Christ. But as his, his position in the church as an apostle was established, then there began to be a slow cessation of those gifts even in the life and ministry of Paul. Again, we see more close to the end. This is uh, during Paul's fourth missionary journey, which is not included in the book of Acts. But in 1 Timothy, as Paul's going out and about, he, he's writing to Timothy, 
uh, one of his own disciples, he left Timothy in Ephesus to kind of head up to pastor the church in Ephesus. And Paul writes to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 23, no longer only drink water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Now, Paul is saying here that wine in first century was often used for medicinal purposes. Right? They had dirty water, it wasn't the best water, and so a lot of times they would even mix wine in with their water to purify water, which would kind of take care of your stomach ills, right? And so Timothy is experiencing some of these. But Timothy's been hardcore. He's not been drinking any kind of wine whatsoever. And Paul says, instead of drinking water, you need to take some medicine. You need to take some medicine. You're sick. Your, your stomach's hurting you. You need to take some medicine so that you can get better. He doesn't say, notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, well, Timothy, why don't you just go to the person who has the gift of healing in your church? Right? If these sign gifts are, are, continua, are, are continued in the life of the church, then there should have been someone in Ephesus. It was rather a large church. So there should have been someone with the gift of healing in the church. Paul doesn't say, well, go to the person with the gift of healing and let them, just let them heal you. He says, no, no, Timothy, take your medicine. Take your medicine. So we see in the life of Paul that these Gifts, these sign gifts are, are, are starting to slowly disappear. And again, 2 Timothy, this is at the very end of Paul's life. Uh, he is about to, he is in the, his second Roman imprisonment. He's about to be martyred. And he writes to Timothy once again, first, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 20. Uh, Erastus remains at Corinth. And I left uh, Trophimus, who was ill at Miletus. Now, again, you could look back at Acts and say, well, Paul, why did you leave Trophimus at Maltus? Why didn't you just heal him so he could continue on with you in your journey? Why did you leave him there on his sickbed? Because it seems to be that these sign gifts were starting to fade away, even in the life and the ministry of the Apostle Paul. They had a, he has established his credentials and apostle of Jesus Christ had been established earlier on, and now that those credentials had been established, those gifts were starting to fade away. And we see that in church history. After the first, uh, first century, the early church fathers record that, that these sign gifts disappeared. They disappeared. They were gone. So we have this pattern in, of Scripture as a whole, and then the pattern of the New Testament itself and finally, we have the testimony of the New Testament. The testimony of the New Testament that indicates that uh, these sign gifts were temporary. These sign gifts were indeed apostolic sign gifts. Acts chapter 5, verse 12 through 16. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. Now notice that again. Many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people, the people there in, in uh, uh, Jerusalem, by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared to join them. The, the rest there is the rest of the church. None of the rest joined them at Solomon's portico. That was a place in the temple complex itself. None of the rest of the choice uh, church joined them there, but the people, the Israelites there who were in the temple, they, they, uh, the other people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats that Peter came by, so that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. So again, at the early parts, you see these sign gifts, but they're taking place among the apostles. None of the rest of the church was daring to go into the, the temple complex with the apostles, but the apostles, they had the signs and the wonders. And, and so the rest of the Israelites, they were just 
fascinated by all these signs and wonders, so they didn't dare touch the apostles. They were obviously messengers of God because all of these signs and wonders were coming from them. But these were apostolic sign gifts. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you. This is Paul talking to the church at Corinth. He is establishing his own credentials as an apostle, reminding them the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. In other words, you saw what I did. Nobody else can do these things. All these signs and wonders I did amongst you, they, they confirm that I am a messenger of God. And then Hebrews chapter uh, 2, verse 3 through 4. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared by, uh, at first by the Lord, that is by Jesus Christ. And it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Those who heard were the apostles. The apostles who were assigned the special task of taking the gospel to the nations. Those who heard the apostles and God bore witness. God bore witness through these signs and wonders. God bore witness to their testimony. He accredited their testimony. This is not the testimony of men. This is not the message made up by men, but this is a message come from God. God said through the signs and wonders, this is my word to you, not theirs. They're just my servants. And here's the proof. So we see the evidence of the New Testament that the, the sign gifts are temporary in nature they are in order to accomplish God's purpose at given times. In the Mosaic period, in the uh, prophetic period, and in the apostolic period. They're all meant to confirm, uh, to affirm the credentials of God's messengers and to affirm that what they spoke, what they said, was God's very word there to confirm new revelation and establish the credential of God's messengers. So the evidence of Scripture is that the sign gifts have ceased. They have ceased. Now that's why I would be called a cessationist, right? Because I believe the sign gifts have ceased. Now, what do we say then? What about experience? What about experience? Because there are those who, who, who have experienced great things in, in life. Maybe ex experienced someone speaking in tongues. That's the biggie our day. Experienced someone speaking in tongues. Experienced something like that. What do you say about experience? Well, dear friend, Scripture always trumps experience. Scripture always always trumps experience we can experience all kinds of things but even our experiences are fallible we are sinners and everything about us is sin is is cased in sin our experiences are fallible so when it comes to experience we go to scripture i experienced this but what does scripture say What's the evidence of Scripture? Because Scripture, God's Word, His holy, inspired, and inerrant Word, trumps experience every time, every time. So then what about those who believe in the sign gifts, that they continue on? There's, there's two, well, actually, there's three categories of these. There's the continuationists, the charismatics, and, and then what I would call hyper-charismatics. So, so those who, who believe sign gifts continue. They're not temporary, but they're, they're continuing among the church today. First, let's talk about the hyper-charismatics. Hyper-charismatic, they go to such far extreme to the point where they would even say that if you don't speak in tongues, then you're not saved. You have to have this special outpouring of the Spirit's 
uh, of the Spirit which will cause you to speak in tongues. And if you've never spoken in tongues, you're not saved. Heresy. Absolutely heresy. That is false. That is absolutely contradictory to Scripture. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. You are not saved by your spiritual gifts. Not ever. Not ever. So I, I can't even call the hyper-charismatics brothers and sisters in Christ because they're preaching a false gospel. Now you move down the spectrum to charismatics. Those who are, are brothers and sisters, and I'll call them brothers and sisters, uh, especially in, in uh, assemblies of God, a lot of those in the assembly of God uh, de denomination, they wouldn't go to that extreme. But yet, they, they still believe in speaking in tongues and, and all of these things. They believe that the gifts continue on. I, I disagree with them, obviously. And I've just told you why from Scripture. Because I believe Scripture teaches that those signs, those sign gifts, uh, have, have ceased. They've gone away. And so I disagree with them. And then there's the continuationist, and I'll be honest, there's even a few Southern Baptists who are continuationists. They, they don't go to quite the extreme of charismatics. Charismatic make, make these sign gifts a big part of their, their services, and they're really high on emotions and experience. But then you have the continuationist. And like I say, there's some, some good, solid teachers out there. I'll just be honest. There, there's good, solid teachers who I read and respect. John Piper. Uh, let's see, John Piper. Uh, uh, Chandler, Matt Chandler. Uh, Wayne Grudem. Man, all of these guys I really respect. D.A. Carson, I really respect them. And I read a lot of what they write because they read good, solid stuff. And they're continuationists. I disagree with them absolutely on this issue, though. I absolutely disagree with them because I believe what Scripture teaches us is that the sign gifts are temporary in nature. They, they come at a special time in history when God is doing something new. He's revealing himself in a new way. He's giving new written revelation, and then they, they cease. So I disagree with them, but I'll, I'll call them brother. I love them, and I call them brother, and I, I still read John Piper. I still read Matt Chandler. I still read D.A. Carson. I still read Wayne Grudem's. I think Wayne Grudem's systematic theology is one of the best systematic theologies on the market, uh, except for that little spot where he talks about the, the, the sign gifts. But you, you see, we need to understand that belief in the sign gifts or not belief in the sign gifts what, what we believe about sign gifts never saves us. They ne it never saves us. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, period. So yeah, I can call those who believe, who are continuationists, who believe in the speaking in tongues and all of these other gifts, uh, if they think they, they still go on, I disagree with them because of what I read in Scripture. But if they believe in salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, they're my brother and sister in Christ. And we can have fellowship together despite what we disagree about on the sign gifts. So we don't need to allow that to be a, a place where we cut ties with anyone because they believe in them and, and we don't. From Scripture, I think they have ceased. Other people see it other ways and I love them and I care for them. I'll just disagree with them on that. The important thing that we need to get out of all of this, though, is that the sign gifts... All of the gifts, all of the spiritual gifts show us the truth of the gospel. The sign gifts especially, they were there, they were given to us to show us the truth of the gospel. The apostles who wrote the New Testament, the prophets who wrote the Old Testament, all of them came bearing the sign gifts to show that the message that they taught, the message that they reported, was not their own message. It was a message from God. So we can trust this book. No, you can't trust your emotions. No, you can't trust your, your experiences. But you can trust this book. And you can trust the message of this book. And the center message of this book is the message of Jesus Christ. 
And that's the most important thing for us to get and understand. That Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, stepped out of glory, out of heaven, and he came to this earth. He lived a life that we could never, ever live, a life of perfect obedience to his Father's will. And though he was without sin, he went to Calvary's cross, and he died there on the cross for us. Dear, for, dear friend, he died there for you to take your sins, to, to bear the penalty for your disobedience against God. He bore the very judgment of hell upon his shoulders so that you would not have to go to hell and bear them yourselves. He bore them for you in your place. And because he was without sin, three days later, God raised him again from the dead. And now he rules and reigns from his eternal throne in heaven. And he rules over us, his church. And from heaven, he extends the invitation for all who will believe, if you will trust in Jesus and give your life to Jesus, he will save you. He will save you. He will change your life. He will equip you with, with your own spiritual gifts to be used in service to him, to transform you and to make you more like Jesus. But the invitation is just that. His hand is reached out. Will you receive it? Will you take it? Will you trust in Jesus and give your life over to him? Will you trust him today? If you're here today and never trusted in Jesus, you're headed to hell. You're headed to judgment. But that can all be averted if you just trust in Jesus. Will you surrender to him today? Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word, your word that reveals to us the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're thankful, Lord, that you revealed it in such a way that we can, we can be sure that this is your word. This is not the words of Paul. This is not the words of Moses. This is not the word of Peter. This is not the word of Isaiah. This is your holy word. It is truth. And we can trust it because you proved to us we can trust it. So Lord, I pray that we would hold tight, hold firm to your word, always and forever. And Lord, if there's anyone here today, whether in this building or watching online or, or listening in on, on a podcast, whatever may be the case, if anyone who has never trusted in Jesus, Lord, I pray that today you might turn their hearts to see Jesus, to trust in him and give themselves over to him. These things I pray in Christ's name. Amen.